He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Hello everyone and welcome to episode number one of the Portuguese Football Show, brought to you by Prossima Jornada and hosted by me, Aaron. This is something I've been looking forward to doing for such a long time and hopefully this is the first episode of many. Again, a massive thank you to everyone that's decided to tune in to listen to the first episode. I hope it goes well and I hope everybody enjoys it. So, with it being the first episode, I think the best thing to do is give a bit of a rundown as to what the podcast is and and what we hope to do in the next coming months and years. Well, the podcast aims to tie in all different elements of Portuguese football into one place, just as the Twitter does and just as the website does. Prossima Jornada never focuses solely on whether it be the Premier Liga or focuses solely on uh, players playing abroad it's a combination of all those things that are connected to Portuguese football so that can be players managers um, as I say whether they're playing the trade in South America Europe wherever it may be then there's also the football that takes place back in Portugal as long as it's connected to Portuguese football we aim to cover it and that's sort of what the podcast is it tries to tie all these things together and we see it sort of as an audio version, just of the news that you would get on the website and on the Twitter. Now, how is it different to what is already out there? Well, a lot of the podcasts that include Portuguese content tend to be the very general podcasts. So the ones that focus maybe solely on European football and they'll give a minute or two to Portuguese football and then you know, move on to wherever it may be, Germany, Italy, England, Spain. And then there's the podcasts which are a little bit more specific. So there's lots of brilliant Portuguese podcasts out there that focus on clubs, whether it be the Big Three uh, or whether it be the national team. There's lots of brilliant national team podcasts out there as well. And I think with the Portuguese football show, what Prossima Jornada is, is bringing to the table, if I may, is a combination of all of these things. There's so many brilliant things about those podcasts that that I admire and, and that I like. And I, I think when tied together, there's potential there to be a really great Portuguese football podcast. Uh, one home for all these type of things. And, and hopefully this is the podcast to, to bring it all together. So the first episode, today's episode, will will be, as I said, it's a bit of a trial, trial and error, and the podcasts will naturally get better over time. Uh, today's episode is hosted solely by myself, Aaron. In the future, um, there's the chance for journalists, uh, football players, scouts, coaches, uh, fans to come on and, and give their opinion and, and sort of create a bit of a back and forth. And I'm really looking forward to that. I've already been in contact with quite a few people uh, who are looking to get on the podcast and who I'd love to have on the podcast as well. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And then one of the most important um, and one of the most interesting elements of the podcast that I think is is the fan engagements. 
um, side of it. So we recently tweeted out that there's going to be a segment called the post box. Now it does what it says on the tin. You you send in questions, opinions, thoughts, and it gives myself or whoever's on the podcast with me that that particular week a chance to try and answer the questions as best as as we can. Um, so all you have to do is use the hashtag the post box, send in the questions. The hashtag on Twitter is the best way to get the questions in. You can also email uh, at contact at prosima-shonada.com. But I know a lot of people, are, it's a lot easier to, to just send a tweet or send a direct message on Twitter. Our DMs are always open. Um, so yeah, there's that, there's that way to get in contact with us. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to kick off today's episode and get into the meat of it, which is Portuguese football and see what's been happening in the world of Portuguese football this week. For the very first Portuguese abroad segment of this podcast, could we start anywhere else in the world apart from in Turin at Juventus with Cristiano Ronaldo who tonight has reached 759 goals which is a monumental figure because it takes him joint top with Joseph Bican for the most goals scored in the history of football uh, that's for club and country 759 goals he needs one more to go clear at the top on 760 and be the footballer with the most goals of all time. But in itself, to, to reach 759 and be there at the top, at the age of 35, still playing at a very, very high level for a superb club in a in a superb league, and he's still doing it week in, week out. For the national team, it's just a remarkable achievement, and I'm sure that the 760th goal won't be far away, knowing Cristiano will be uh, as soon as it can come. And yeah, just a remarkable achievement. Just to go over those goals as well, that's that's five goals uh, for Sporting, 118 for Manchester United, 450 goals for Real Madrid, 84 now for Juventus, and of course 102 goals for Asilisau, uh, the Portuguese national team. It's actually harder to speak about someone like Ronaldo because you feel like he's been around for that long that you're just regurgitating or repeating what people have already said before. He's broke so many records and he's scored so many goals and he's left such a legacy that it doesn't even need to be spoken about all the time because people just know it's what you come to expect. So when you talk about Ronaldo, you've already run out of superlatives to describe him as a goal scorer, as a player. 759 goals he will break that and not only will he break that he'll go clear into the distance and it's hard to see anyone that will ever catch him in the professional game because you look at his statistics this season he's 35 years of age he's already scored 15 goals in 13 games so he's already better than a goal per game ratio he's already better than that touch wood provided he doesn't get injured he will continue doing that for the rest of the season. And it's likely he'll do that next season. And it's probable that he'll do that the season after. And with Cristiano, you you think, when when does he decide to hang up his boots? Because you can see him scoring goals like this for, for some years to come. Yeah, I think that record is well and truly his. And he deserves it. He's an absolute legend. He's a superstar of the game. And he's such a hero to Portugal and Portuguese people. 
and it's great to see him there joint top he just now needs to score one more so he can be out there on his own but yeah once again Cristiano Ronaldo phenomenon and two players who aren't currently involved in the senior Selecao setup and two players I think will Fernando Santos will have had reason to sit up and, and take note of what they've been doing uh, for their respective clubs one is a current Portuguese um, under-21 international and the other is uh, I guess you could say former Selecao player um, not that he's retired from international football he just hasn't been involved in the last couple of Selecao squads um, but again he's still only young and those two players are Andre Silva of Eintracht Frankfurt and Rafa Leao who's playing for AC Milan in Serie A he's a player who Fernando Santos will have will have sat up and took note of 100% he is dynamic he's quick he doesn't like going backwards he doesn't like going sideways he, he's always thinking on the front foot he loves to dribble he's an intelligent player as well he can create goals as well as as well as score them he's shown with his versatility this year I think he's played a bulk of his games on the left hand side he, he's also played a fair few games up front as sort of like as a, as a number nine as a focal point if you just look at the numbers performance aside 11 starts 5 goals and 4 assists and then when you look at the performance as well the just how intense he is the the intensity that he that he brings to the match just the, the dynamism the directness um, it's such a frightening player to play against whether it be him playing down the middle uh, running onto the centre halves or whether it be playing out wide and you know terrorising the full backs and putting a good cross in the, he really does give Fernando Santos another another option and he, he's he's different he's he's different to what Portugal have got at the moment he recently on the weekend again amongst the goals he scored the first goal against Torino in what turned out to be a 2-0 victory I say that again the, the AC Milan they're a massive club they're an institution in Italy the top of Serie A for the first time you know in going into the new year for for God knows how long, uh, and he's a really important part of that, and that is just that's something that Fernando Santos won't be able to ignore. I don't think it'll be too long until uh, until he, he makes that step up from the under twenty one level to to the senior setup, and then moving on to another player who has already made that step up to senior level is is Andre Silva. Funnily enough, a player who likely I was playing for AC Milan after some difficult moments, both on loan in La Liga with Sevilla and also playing for AC Milan. He's now playing for Antac Frankfurt in the Bundesliga and he's on fire. Another two goals on the weekend against uh, Mainz. 2-0 win. He scored both goals, albeit penalties, but his side needed them to step up and he, he put both in the back of the net. Um, not a problem. Uh, two weeks before that against Mönchengladbach, a tough game. 3-3 draw. He assisted one and scored the other two. So again, making the difference for the side, getting a side a point, and um, you know they were lo- they were unlucky to draw that game. And Lars Stindl scored in the 90th minute and then scored in the 95th minute. So, Antwerp with with five minutes to go, we're, we're home and hosed to three one. And you know sometimes these things happen in football. And a week before that, Union Berlin again a three three draw. He scored twice. You could look through his statistics from the last couple of weeks, and he's just constantly on the score sheet. And his, again, I say he's a player who you know what you're going to get from Andre Silva. You know exactly what he is as a player. Fernando Santos has, has called him up before countless times. 
he scored goals for the national team at senior level. But for Andre Silva, it's it's the old footballer's cliche of to get called up, you've just got to carry on doing what you're doing. But in this case, it's it's so true. He cannot be doing any more than he's doing at the moment. Um, he'll be thinking that he can be putting away those chances, but he's looking he's looking good at the minute. He's looking like a you know a top striker in a top European league. Uh, who's sort of dragging his team through games at times. Again, I go back to those statistics: eleven goals in fourteen appearances, two assists. You know he's he's providing and he's scoring goals. He's winning aerial duels. He's winning. I think I remember reading he's won four Man of the Match awards for Ansac. So he's quite often the decider. He's quite often the key man in the performances, not just through his goals, but also through his overall play, dropping off and getting other players involved. And I think if he continues like this, again, you you can't be ignored. It's such an embarrassment of riches at the Selassau at the moment. But if you're scoring goals and especially at that rate, 11 goals and 14 appearances is 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 superb. And, you know, unless he becomes a, a one-for-one man, Ronaldo-esque, um, there's not much he can do to to, uh, to improve his performances. So long may it continue. Now moving over to England, what would usually be Premier League week? Uh, this week has been replaced by FA Cup week. So the third round of the illustrious competition saw the Premier League clubs go into the competition. And also the Championship League 1 and League 2. So there's been a huge pool of Portuguese talents in England. And we see it week in, week out in the Premier League. Is that these Portuguese players aren't just in the league to take part. They're there to, to, you know, to take over, to dominate. We've seen the likes of Ruben Dias, who again, fantastic in the FA Cup for Manchester City. Completely revitalised that team when he arrived. He's transformed their defence. Joao Cancelo, who again put in a fantastic performance. But there's a player that I want to highlight who... He's a player who hasn't been in the headlines as much as some of the more high-profile players in England. And that's probably because of the position that he plays and sometimes because he's not constantly getting goals and assists. He's not being spoke about. And that's Wolves' Ruben Neves. And he is a player who was just magnificent the other day. He was absolutely fantastic. He was just the epitome of everything that Wolves did well. He was the metronome in the middle of the park against Crystal Palace. 1-0 win. He got the assist. I saw a couple of people on Twitter saying there's no way he's taking that as an assist because obviously it was a brilliant strike from Adama Traore who, again, is... is um, like Nevis, he's sort of coming back into his own and playing well, but... He, it wasn't just that, it was it was everything about his performance. It was the most touches on the field, the most accurate passes, the most accurate long balls, uh, key passes. He he was winning his, his duels, you know, he was winning aerial duels, he was getting to the ball, he was tenacious. It was everything you want to see from, from a nervous performance. And six tackles, I think, was the most of any Wolves player. Uh, I'll have to double check that. Don't take that. Uh, don't take my word on that. But I, I, I'm sure we put a tweet out with his statistics, and he was just fantastic. And I think a lot of Wolves fans, a couple of weeks and months ago now, when when the form was dipping a little bit, um, which again is to be expected. They've lost a huge player in in Raúl uh, up front. They've got Fabio Silva, who's came in, who's who's obviously very young. 
and the performances did drop off a little bit. And I, again, I go back to it. I think a lot of Wolves supporters were thinking that Joao Matinho, Ruben Neves, centre mid partnership needed a little bit of life to it. It was getting maybe a little bit stale, a little bit safe. And I think in in the last couple of weeks, he has looked revitalised. And again, I go back to it because he's not getting goals and assists and getting further up the field. It's easy for opposition supporters and for for those in the media for it to just sort of slip by to you know to slip through the net because he's not you know breaking the net every week. But he's slowly getting back to 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 the nerves. We all know that he is, and and that is just a wonderful player in the in the centre of that pitch. Again, breaking up play. Um, you know, dropping back, dropping into like a quarterback position at times, and just launching long, long balls forward, long passes forward. You know, is an absolute dream for a player like Adama Traore, who who's spotting these passes from early and making those runs. And then obviously he's got Pedro Neto there on the other side, who who you know he'll be so such a massive influence for for a player like him as well. Uh, he's know he's got pace on either side for him to aim at. And yeah, I just think he, he's another player who was fantastic. And long may it continue because, you know, in my ideal Portugal lineup, my Celestial lineup, when he's on form, he, he has to be in there. Because when he plays well, typically Wolves play well, which is apart from if, if you're an Aston Villa supporter or West Brom or, or one of Birmingham City or one of the other Midlands clubs. If you're a Portuguese football fan, you you want you want Wolves to do well because it means the contingent are doing well. Uh, if Wolves are playing well, it means five or six Portuguese players are, uh, you know, they're taking part in that. So, yeah, long may continue for Nuno and the and the boys. They're into the fourth round of the FA Cup, and just staying on the FA Cup, he's a player in all in all honesty who is one of the most talented Portuguese players in the national team setup. He's one of the most important players. He's one of the most versatile players. But he's one of the players that we, and I think the media in general, haven't spoke too much about him in recent times. His manager came out and said that his form last year was partly due to um, exhaustion. Uh, he was also guilty of overplaying at times. Uh, and just doing things that we didn't really expect from him, but as a player who looks like he's getting back to his best also. And that's Bernardo Silva for Manchester City. He scored twice against Birmingham today. The first was an absolute wildy. If you haven't watched the uh, if you haven't watched the goal or watched the highlights, I'd, I'd suggest you go back and watch um, the FA Cup game against Birmingham City. Three 0 He scored the first and the second. Very, very rarely give the ball away. Very tidy in possession, uh, which is the best Bernardo Silva when he's neat and tidy on the ball. Is giving goes. He's also playing centrally. Which is where I've and I've I'll always stick by it. That's where I prefer Bernardo Silva to be. If he was playing for the Celestial, that's where I'd want him to be. I think there's faster and more direct players that can play out wide to put crosses in. I think he's wasted out there, to be honest. I think someone like him with that low centre of gravity and um, just how nifty and nimble he is, how intelligent he is with his passing. You want him in the middle of the field. You want him, you know, in and around that number ten area, giving and go. Uh, and just wreaking havoc, dragging players out of position, playing between the lines. That's where I want him. And he was fantastic today. As I say, two goals. And uh, hopefully it can continue. That Manchester City team at the minute are looking back to their imperious best. Uh, Joao Cancelo and Ruben Diaz, they both played. 
they both came off, I think, at half-time. The job was already done. They were 3-0 up. They're two of the most important players. I'd probably say um, Joao Cancelo, for me, has been Manchester City's best player this season. Just in terms of how consistent he's been on the left, on the right. You know, he pops up in the middle. He's been fantastic and he's he's found the form that we all knew he was capable of as well. Uh, when he was at Juventus and uh, when he was you know, on loan and then he went to Manchester City and it was like you just wanted them to get a bit of security, you wanted them to get a bit of consistency and to play every week because without that, without that consistency, playing for the Selassau will always be difficult when you're a right-back and you're playing in a position where Nelson Semedo, Ricardo Pereira, they, these players are are all vying for one spot. Now, the one thing that Joao Cancelo has got is, is versatility because... If you're Fernando Santos, you're looking at him and you're thinking, it's worth, is it worth taking you even just for the fact that if Rafael Guerrero gets injured, you've got another left back there. Uh, you know, if if worse comes to worst and, and you've got a you know a midfield injury, Cancelo is the type of player you could put in midfield. He looks like he could literally play anywhere and, and that's because he's starting to really apply himself and it's brilliant to see him being such an influential player for for such a big club, for a club who are competing on the front foot for titles and playing in the Champions League and aiming to win silverware. So it's brilliant to see. And now moving to Portugal, where there was lots of action, both at the top end and the bottom end of the table. And lots of real good talking points as well in some of the fixtures. I'd like to kick off with Thursday's match, that subsequently became Friday's match. Uh, on Madeira Island, Sporting were due to take on Nacional. The game was initially scheduled for Thursday. It was moved to Friday because of poor conditions. They tried to get the game on, on the Thursday, but... We posted a couple of pictures and videos from the match itself and there was no way you could have played on that pitch. The There was a picture going around on social media of the dugout and the water, you could see it it come up to, if you were sitting in the dugout, it would be at knee level at least. So they gave it a day to see if they could um, get the pitch in better shape and then they played the game on the Friday. Again, the conditions were... You know, absolutely abysmal. Uh, but needs must. The game had to go ahead. Uh, the league probably felt that with the schedule being so tight, they couldn't move it once more. And also, there's not much you can really do about it. For those who who aren't familiar with Portuguese geography, Madeira is is an island. It's not connected to mainland Portugal. And when the weather is bad, as it was on Thursday and Friday, it's really bad in Madeira. Um, and when the weather's nice, it's really, really nice. It's a beautiful place. I've been to Madeira myself, and it is a wonderful place. But it does, it did suffer a lot the other day, and and as I say, the game had to go ahead. Now, I think in terms of the performance, you can't really say much about the actual match because if you watch the match, the ball was getting caught up in the mud. Um, players were falling over. It was a mud bath basically. It was like. It did look like a Sunday league game, but I think one of the big one of the big things to take is that Sporting are just 
proven that they can win wherever and whenever and no matter the opponents. You know, they they played a completely different game against Braga recently um, and that was an absolute demolition. And that that's against a Carlos Carvajal's Braga side, which, you know, are playing really, really well. And then they go into this game with Nacional, a different game, different conditions, uh, know that it's a completely different task. And they rose to the occasion. They won 2-0. Nuno Santos opened the scoring and then Jovan Cabral scored uh, right near the end in injury time. But as I say, I think it's a... They tried to play football and they tried to keep the ball moving, but especially with short passes, uh, the ball had travelled maybe three, four yards and then it just completely gets stuck in the mud. So it, was, it wasn't it was the the most aesthetically pleasing of games, but these are the type of games where it's your mentality more than anything. It's can you get over the line? Can you get the ball in the back of the net? Can you go home with three points? And and they did that. They, they managed to score twice. They managed to keep a clean sheet and they, and they left the island, headed back to Lisbon and uh, with the three points in the bag. So there's not much more you can say about it. They look at the moment. They look like a team who are capable of beating those at the top of the table, uh, mid-table and at the bottom of the league, which is really, really important because... It's those games where sometimes your consistency can slip a little bit. And when you when you're going to these places where the teams at the bottom of the table, they know they haven't got eleven players on their squad that are as good as the eleven that are sporting Porto, Benfica, Braga will will field. So their game plan has to change to can we win balls in the air? Can we win set pieces? Um, can we run as fast? Can we run faster? Can we run harder? Can we work harder? Can we get tackles in? Uh, can we disrupt the play? Those type of things, and that can make it very, very difficult to to win a football match. And that is what they have to do. So if you're a club that's at the top of the league that wants to compete, you have to overcome and you have to adapt. And so far, the proof is in the pudding and you're looking at the league table they're the only team who are unbeaten in the Liga. They, they've got some difficult games coming up. They've still got to play Porto at the Dragao. They've got to play Benfica. They've got to play Braga again. They will be massive games, and I think that'll give a huge indication of, of the title race itself, obviously. But then it's also, you think that's three games. The rest of the Liga is made up by playing those teams who are just outside the top three, who are mid-table, and they were towards the bottom of the table. And if they can keep up this consistency, then, you know, who knows? But another fantastic win. And again, I think more a great show of character than anything else. We know how good of a football inside they are. But this victory was all about give us any condition and, and we'll come away with three points. And they did, so fair play. And now to Braga's match on Thursday versus Maritimo. It was a 2-1 victory with goals from Ricardo Horta and Yori Medeiros. Uh, Milson scored a late goal for uh, Maritimo, but it turned out to be nothing more than a consolation for his side. Carlos Carvajal's men have just put together some nice form. They've come back from a disappointing defeat uh, to Sporting. That'll have hurt them. They, they're a team who pride themselves on playing good football. Um, they've been playing well both in the Premier League and also uh, in the Europa League. They finished second in that group in a, what was a tough group. And in the Liga, they they quietly go on about the business. They they like to 
pride themselves on playing attractive football. Um, if you're not following Carlos Carvajal on Twitter, he's a really good follow in terms of he'll post like analysis of video of goal videos and he will quote tweet Braga when they tweet highlights um sort of explaining certain passages of play and stuff. So he's a yeah, he's a really good follow. But you can tell that that he prides himself on that and the club in playing good football and scoring goals. So yeah to bounce back in this way was um yeah it was really nice for them. They're fourth in the table at the moment. I think the four points off um, Porto and Benfica in second and third respectively so obviously breaking that breaking that down and there's the extra incentive this year because the third place in Portugal now gives uh, Champions League um, a chance of Champions League qualification first and second is now automatic group stage qualification so that extra incentive in there they'll just be hoping that one of either Porto or Benfica uh, or even Sporting in the, in the latter end of the season can um, put together a poor run and they can just keep quietly going about the business but all they can do is keep trying I think one thing they need to do is to draw more games which I know might sound bizarre but they're the only team in the league to not draw a game yet and you're looking at the loss column at the, towards the top end of the table you got Sporting on 0 Porto and Benfica both on 2 uh, Braga on 4 losses and then even below them you got Passos de Ferreira have only lost 3 um, you know, the likes of Rio Ave and Morinense in 9th and 10th have only lost one more with five. In those games when the, you feel that the tide is going a little bit against you and, and it's just not your day, can you can you get a goal back? Can you at least take a point? Away? Those difficult trips away from home, um, you know, the, the best sides, they always say, if you can't win, don't lose. You know, Can you get a point out of it? So I think what, if they can start doing that, on those games when it's simply not to be their day, can they at least you know return home, or can they at least take a point at home, even if it's not what they wanted? It all helps, and the points all add up. You think if if they'd have drawn those um, four games that they lost in a hypothetical whale, they're the four points which puts them level with with Benfica and Porto. So, yeah, again hypothetical, but I think. Just can't lose that many games this early on and expect to be up there. So they need to um, they need to tighten up definitely. But yeah, still a good start to the season nonetheless. They're having to juggle the Premier League with playing in Europe, which is always difficult. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see them go far in in uh, in the season and 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 push the the big three all the way. And also yeah, continue their good form in Europe. Uh, next up is Benfica's two 0 victory over Tondela. It was a really professional game, a really routine win for JJ's men in terms of two goals scored, no goals conceded. They bounced back from the one all with Santa Clara, which was um, obviously disappointing for the club. It was it was Benfica's first draw of the season as well. Um, still got 10 wins out of 13, so it's, it's not all bad, despite what you might read online. I think the biggest problem for Benfica and, and its supporters... Not being so much the results, but the play. I think they've lacked creativity at times, especially in that midfield. And just trying to get a little bit of creativity, a little bit of spark back in the team. Sometimes it can look a little bit predictable. The opponents, it's a little bit telegraphed for the opponent. But as I say, 2-0, you can't argue with that. Um, the, the games against the bigger sides um, that are coming up, 
will be really, really important, and I think really interesting to see how they how they do. The next Premier League match they've got is FC Porto at, at the Diragao, which will is difficult. They go on a really, really difficult run to be honest. They've got Estrella uh, de Amadora in the in the cup next Campeonato club, but you know it's away from home. It's a it's a, it's a match Benfica don't really want to play. Mm. It's a match where they'll be worked hard. Um, they'll they'll have to run. They'll have to tackle because. It's the one thing that Amadora will have is 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 that desire. You know they'll be absolutely delighted to be playing a giant like Benfica. Um, the the week after that, I say the week after that, three days after that is the trip to Porto, and then five days after that they're away at Braga in in the in the Tasa de Liga, and then four days after that Nacional at home, and then after that is Sporting away. A massive game uh, that'll be absolutely huge for both clubs, and that's you know it's it's an early title decider in terms of you know it is a real six pointer because if Benfica can take three points, they claw back the deficit. But if it goes the other way, you know if it's the green and white to finish that occasion with three points, then that's massive. That puts a massive buffer, um, regardless of what happens in the other games. And then after that, they play Vitoria. Who is? It's never an easy game. So you tie all that in with the fact that the European football is starting again soon. Uh, they'll take on Arsenal, which will obviously be a difficult game, regardless of the position Arsenal are in. So this is the point now where Benfica really need to start um, gearing up for this this really tough part of the season, and how they come out of it, and um, will determine what happens with their season. Uh, if they come out of of those Premier League matches with points on the board, and then you know you're looking at that table, the first place isn't that far away. It's still only four points. Um, so yeah, those games against Porto and Sporting are absolutely massive. But um, yeah, a professional two 0 win, and they move on to the next one, which is obviously the cup game. FC Porto travel to Familical to take on uh, João Pedro Sousa's men. It was a match that's interesting for both sides of the table, to be honest, both top and bottom, because after we're recording this, as the table stands, Fumilakov now dropped to the bottom of the table, 18th place. Uh, they lost 4-1 against Porto. Um, they were fantastic last season in terms of they started the season really brightly. Uh, they did drop off towards the end. They actually dropped out of the European places when it looked for so long of the season that they were at least going to be qualifying for the Europa League. But this season, it's not been the same tale. They've lost a lot of players. Um, the likes of Pedro Gonçalves, who's who's been the, the league's best player this season for Sporting. He's been their main man, top scorer. They've lost him. Even recently, they lost uh, Ruben Lomeiras, who's recently just joined Vitoria. So the squad, and there's many more as well, who, who've left since the end of last season and, and to, up to today. Uh, so, uh, you know, a difficult one. They're now bottom. They've won just two games all season. But for, for Porto, it was it was a brilliant victory, uh, especially away from home. And they're, they're in some really, really good form at the minute, Conte Salzman. Uh, that's in all competitions. You look back to to that 0-0 draw with Manchester City, um, which is sort of... They they were in great form before that, but I think after that they've they beat Tondela, they 
won away from home at Olympiacos in the Champions League. Back into the to the Tassa beat Tondela two one. Uh, Tassa again, Tassa de Liga this time. Passos de Ferreira beat them two one. Um, two nil against Nacional. Then they beat Benfica two nil in the Super Tassa. Uh, and then they had that, that run of three Liga games, um, back-to-back-to-back, which is 3-2 against Vitoria. They beat Morenense 3-0. And then they've just beaten Famalicão 4-1. So they're scoring goals. Um, they're not conceding many either. They they think they, they've conceded 13 goals all season, um, which, is, which isn't too bad at all. Uh, 31 points, four points off the top spot. And then also João Mario, not that one. Uh, the FC Porto, João Mario, scored his first goal for the club, which is brilliant to see. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of um, champion and young talents when they come through, um, and when they stuff like that when they when they get their first goal, uh, when they contribute to a victory, when they provide an assist, because um, it's great to see and it, it's it's good for the confidence as well. Um, I for one was. Really dis- Well, I'm always really disappointed when, no matter what the club is, whether it be Porto, Sporting, Benfica, Braga, Vitoria, whoever it may be, um, when the top talents go a little bit too early. And I think that UEFA Youth League team, the under-19 team, which was the first Portuguese club to win uh, the Youth League, that squad got a little bit decimated in terms of seeing players leave left, right and centre from that. The likes of... Uh, Vitinha going on loan to to Wolves and Fabio Silva has obviously gone permanently. Um, you look Diogo Geiros is now a familiar cow. There's just the real core of that squad, um, and then even the likes of of the players who are still at the club. I want to see players like Romario Barro and and João Mario play. Diogo Costa in goal, and obviously one of the big players that is playing week in week out at the moment is Diogo Leite, and he is a player that. I think he's a brilliant player, and especially in the absence of Pip, he is such a solid option at centre back, and he's so young as well. So I think the longer the longer he plays, the more consistent he gets. Um, iron out some of the errors in his game. You're looking, you're possibly looking at Portugal's centre back option going forward alongside Ruben Dias. So. Yeah, a brilliant win for, for Porto. Not much more you can say. They they keep on along. The next game again against Benfica is huge. I said before, it's huge for both clubs. And we'll get a much better indication of where we are in terms of that top three, top four hunt, title race hunt, uh, after that game is done. Elsewhere in the Liga, we had Griovav uh, won 3-0 against Porto Monates. Again, um, fantastic victory for for Grio. They they've lost three games on the bounce coming into that. So for a team that sort of want to be at the top end of the table, you know, they in recent times Europe European um, qualification, Europa League, and sort of pushing at that top end, uh, losing three games on the bounce isn't you know it's not great, it's not ideal. So it's good for them to to finally get some more points on the board. You're looking at the table at the minute; they're in ninth place. Um, Porto Morense are right there on the bottom on 11 points with that, that trio of, of uh, Familical, Bove, Eastern and, and Porto Morense so not looking too good for them but Griovav hopefully with um new manager at the helm and, and uh, defended that run 
of of the three defeats. So yeah, we'll see what happens in the next couple uh, next coming games. They've got Estrel in the in the Tassa, and then they've got the challenge of uh, Sporting away from home. So um, yeah, good luck to them with that one. But uh, you never know; could provide an upset. It uh, could shake things up at the top and uh, in the mid table. And then we had the game between Vittoria and Moranites, which was uh, a two-two draw. Uh, Vittoria are just where they usually are, just outside of the uh, them European spots, trying to trying to um, trying to get themselves in there. You got Braga and Passos who are in fourth and fifth, and then you got Vittoria just outside those spots in sixth. Uh, they're two points off Passos at the moment. Um, just fifteen goals scored all season, which when you look at the teams above them is they're way off. You know they've scored half the goals that Sporting have scored. They've scored even less than that compared to what uh, Porto have scored. Even Braga, Bra- uh, Benfica, Passos, um, they've scored the same amount as Maritimo. So they really do need to, especially with all that creative talent. They've got a, a really good team. They've got a really really good team of attacking players as well. Um, they like to play on the counter in, in in most games. To be honest, I think if you look at most of the statistics, there's a trend in terms of how much they've got the ball. I mean, the game against Santa Clara, I remember it was a couple of weeks back. They won four nil. They had thirty five percent of the ball, I think, because they just set up that way. No matter who they play against, they like to play on the counter. They usually always end the match with more shots, more shots on target, because those counter attacks breed breed these um, these shots and these attempts, and that's just the way that they play. But sometimes when they come up against the team who also want to sit back, because the opposition might be terrified of the prospect of playing against Ricardo Caresma, Marcus Edwards, these attacking players, but Victoria sort of don't want to take the game to the media. They want to play on the um, on the counter, so. I mean, you look at the statistics for the the game just gone the two two Morinains they let Vittoria have the ball, uh, which they probably found difficult. You know they've they've got the ball. I think they finished the game with with sixty, it's been fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty percent possession, um, but just couldn't find that win. Yet a lot of the wins, um, yeah. I mean even against the one nil with Porto Morinains they had. I think they had forty percent of the possession. Again, finish with more shots, but they're a team who like to break, who like to hit you with pace, and who like to spring attacks. So I think they need to find another, uh, another string to the bow, if you will, in terms of the way that they play. Um, how how can you respond when when the opposition wants to give you the ball and wants to sit back? Um, because that will happen, especially with those teams towards the bottom of the table. Um, so yeah, interesting to see how they get on for for the rest of the season because they do have a talented squad. Interested to see what they do in this this January transfer market also. And for the last three games in the Liga, Bovista one one with Santa Clara, another draw. That's eight draws in the league. That's the most of any club, and just one win all season. I really did expect a bit more from Bovista this season. They're right down at the bottom of the table on 11 points with the other two sides in the bottom three. They need to find a way to win games and that sounds so obvious to say but they're in a lot of these games hence why they've walked away with the most draws in the league. But when 11 points on the board and 8 of those points have came from drawing games 
they need to find that, that killer edge. They need to find a way to, to win even when they're not playing well. Because, as I say, they're in games, they're finding themselves toe-to-toe with the opponents and they just can't get you know, that slice of luck, whatever it may be. Sometimes in football, things just go against you. You know, We saw that early on in the season with friends. They were playing well, but they just couldn't get the rubber the green. That's maybe turned a little bit for, for them. Uh, Bovista will be hoping uh, to do the same. But, yeah, some improvements need to be made. They need to finish off the chances as well. They, they're guilty of missing some real guilt-edge chances. And speaking of friends, that's another win. A 3-1 victory over Gilles Vicente. Three, uh, three wins on the board now, which is the same as um, most of the league, to be honest, right up until like the top the top, uh, the top, top six, the top seven. Um, tenth place, Morinense on three wins. Nacional on three wins. Gilles Vicente on three wins. Uh, friends on three wins. Grio uh, in ninth place on three wins. So it's just they've... They've obviously they've lost seven games compared to those around them where they've obviously put more draws on the board. Friends just with three draws, but they are they're stringing together some some good play, especially recently. Um, they they beat Maritimo in in the league two uh, one, one um, one with Passos, which was um, uh, yeah it was a really good game to be honest. In terms of uh, Passos are right up there. They they dominated the game. Uh, Ferenza had that one chance, one shot on target and scored. So um, that was a good one, a good watch for the neutral. And then this game, you know, impressive three goals. It's the most I've scored. Well, it equals the most I've scored. They also beat Bovis to 3 1 early on in the season. Still conceding too many goals at the back, still look a bit, bit too shaky at the back. But they're out of that relegation zone. The movements up the table. They've got Vittoria coming up next, which is always going to be a difficult game. Um, but yeah, improving. And earlier on in the season, I spoke to Ryan Gold, who is um, you know, friends' talisman, and he was saying he he thought earlier on in the season the the rubber the green was just against them. They they weren't getting luck. They weren't getting the chances that were falling to them, and and they were conceding really sloppy goals. Things just needed to turn for them, and it looks like they might be turning a corner. As I say, they're out that drop zone now. Guaranteeing their safety for next season will be the main thing, and then take it one um, take it one game at a time. And then finally, Passos, who have moved in to the European spots, a two 0 win over Belenenses Sad. They walked away with less shots, um, less possession of the ball. I think they had thirty percent possession. Uh, less shots on target, less corner kicks. But they walk away with uh, all three points. Two goals scored, no goals conceded. Uh, it's two consecutive wins. They went through a bit of a rough patch uh, a couple of weeks ago. They had those three. They played the big three back-to-back-to-back. Benfica, Sporting and then Porto. And they lost all three. Then they um, they dropped points to both uh, Bovista and uh, Ferenc. But, yeah, good to see them back getting points on the board. And that rounds up our Premier League action. (music) 
And now for the last segment of the show is the post box, which is where it gives you a chance to send in your questions. So for if you didn't manage to do it or you didn't know about it for this first episode, after this listening to this episode, go to Twitter, hashtag the post box, and make sure you tag us in it as well, at ProxyMuzionada1, and just send in your questions, thoughts, uh, opinions, doesn't necessarily have to be a question, just a talking point that you'd like to discuss. And uh, yeah, I'll give you my thoughts, and then um, next week uh, there'll be uh, a guest or two on the show as well. So hopefully get them involved, and uh, yeah, see see what we uh, see what we can come up with. So get your questions in to the post box. And now just looking at the post box on Twitter. First question from Dieter van Gucht. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that right, Dieter. It says, Can Sporting Club de Portugal win the league this season? Is Ruben Amarim the best young Portuguese manager of the last five years? Um, he's a big fan of the show. He's very inquisitive. Always sends questions in. Um, always loves to get involved. So, yeah, this is the perfect platform to get your questions answered. Uh, and he's used the hashtag, the postbox. So, thanks for that, Dieter. Um, the first one, can they win the, t- the, the season? Well, we covered it a little bit before. I think they can. I think they can. I think they've what they've shown so far. There's nothing there to suggest that they can't. Um, obviously, a massive injury crisis or you know something of the like completely changes things. But in a in a hypothetical world, if things sort of stay as the as they are, you know they might lose a game or two. How that affects them psychologically, we, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, I think they've got what it takes I mentioned earlier they've, they've been beating the big teams they know how to beat the teams who are mid-table and towards the bottom uh, and is Ruben Amarim the best young Portuguese manager of the last five years well he certainly will be if he if he wins the if he wins the title and it depends what you mean by young as well but in terms of that ex-player sort of going into management of that ilk then his credentials will obviously look a lot better if he's got a Premier League winner's medal hanging around his neck. So, great question, Dieter. Thank you very much for that. Next question, Johnny Alves said, hashtag the postbox. Uh, do you think William Carvalho will fit in well at Benfica? If not, where would you like to see him go? Well, I think if you think about the move logically, it does make sense in terms of he he was playing, obviously, in Portugal for Sporting. He went to Spain to play for not one of the top clubs. He went to play for Real Betis, who at the moment is the 12th in La Liga. He's been in and out the team due to injury and whatnot since he's been there. Um, he's a fantastic player. I really, really rate him. I, I think he's a player that perhaps doesn't get the plaudits that he deserves uh, sometimes, especially for the Selecao. But I really like him. I think everything he does is so effortless. Um his passing range and I think when he has a bad game he's a really easy scapegoat for people to go to um, The whether he'll fit in at Benfica or not it, it all depends it all depends because obviously for a lot of the supporters there's there's always going to be that animosity because he is uh, ex-sporting uh, Easter but I mean as we know in football, if you start stringing together some good performances, stuff like that can be quickly forgotten. But it also makes it difficult if you go through a bad patch because it's easier for you to um, to take the brunt of it. And I think, especially if you're playing in the middle, 
if you're playing defensive mid or central midfield, you're an easy target because the play will go through you. You break up the play, you pass the ball, you're on the ball a lot, and it's easy to see someone who's not playing well if they're in the middle of the park. Now, I've noticed some Benfica fans, especially online, speaking about the the move and some of the options that they've got at their own disposal, you know, they've got the likes of Tino, uh, Florentino Luis, who's, who's on loan at uh, Schmonaco. Um, they've also got another midfielder in, in uh, Gitchin Fernandes, who's playing for uh, Tottenham Hotspur at the moment. He's not getting much of a look in. So I think they, the thinking is that, why go for a 29-year-old when we've got some, some midfielders of our own who are a lot younger um, perhaps a bit hungrier, but on his day, you know, William is, is class, he is top class, so I think if he was to go, he would only go with the best intention of applying himself and putting 100% in and, and sort of just trying to play for the club that he's at, rather than getting caught up in in uh, Benfica sporting drama, um, That's not that won't be his prerogative, but... Yeah, we'll see. And where would you like to see him go? Well, obviously, I'm biased. I'd love to see him come to Portugal, no matter what the club, because it's the league I watch the most of. Uh, I like to watch him play. I probably haven't watched him as much as I should have playing for Betis. But, I mean, other than that, Italy, perhaps. I think, in my head, he just... I think he'd be such a Rolls-Royce playing in Serie A. But we will see. We'll see where he ends up. And I hope wherever he does go, he, he does well. The next question is De Libero, who says, hashtag the postbox, do you think Portugal play better football with or without Ronaldo? Now, this is a question that you'll probably hear more and more in the next coming years because it's only natural as Ronaldo begins to age, people start to talk about yeah, how Portugal play when, when he is in the team and when he's not in the team. The only thing I'll say is Portugal at times without him do appear to play more fluid and that's because they have to play through different other avenues than when Ronaldo's on the pitch. But from the players' point of view and from Portugal's point of view, you'd be stupid to not focus your play through Ronaldo. As we mentioned earlier, the man scored 759 goals. So if you're in a position where you need a goal, that's the person that you want on the pitch. Um, In terms of the overall play, the overall play without Ronaldo at times probably is more attractive to watch. But... If you watch the last international break, um, the we were Portugal we were out Ronaldo um, for some of the games, and they were guilty of just missing so many chances. And it, I was watching in in Lisbon in a in a bar with a couple of friends, and we said at the time, you know, if Ronaldo's on the pitch, he scores that. So it's 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 a t- it's a tough one because. I want him on the pitch personally because I feel like he can give you a chance even when the chips are stacked against you. And I can see other people's points of view because Portugal are getting to that stage now where they don't need to be Ronaldo FC. They, they've they got so many world-class players in their own right, which is true also. But for me, until Ronaldo is, is done or he's towards the end, um, or if he gets phased out in terms of going onto the bench and then coming on when you need an impact player, um, but he's never been about that. He's he's never been that type of player, and I, I don't know if he'd ever settle for being that type of player. So, you know, who knows? But I think I think there's an argument for both sides. I think people get very caught up in the heat of passion when they hear 
they're either pro Ronaldo being in the team or pro the football Portugal play without him. I think there's an argument for both. Personally, me, uh, I'll go with Ronaldo being in the team because I think he gives my team the best chance of, of winning that game. Um, how it will happen in the future in terms of the new year, 2021, and going into 2022. We mentioned earlier, you know, Ronaldo's still scoring goals at a ridiculous rate. So, you know, it's up to Fernando Santos. It's up to see how he see fits. But let us know as well. Um, drop us a message on Twitter or post a comment on the website. Uh, let us know what you think. And that's the end of episode one of the Portuguese Football Show. There's so much to cover. Um, we'd be here all day if we spoke about every single thing in Portuguese football. But we try and get it all into an hour. Um, I will be putting out some requests also. Uh, if people would like to uh, listen to a longer version of the podcast with... Um, several other talking points that might be something we can make available in the future uh, time permitting but yeah thank you very much if you've lasted this long and you've you've made it to the very end then i thank you very much if you could leave a review on apple podcasts that would be brilliant if you're listening on there if you're listening on youtube you know what to do subscribe to the channel like the video leave a comment if you want and yeah get involved on the social media channels also send in your questions and just share it round. Um, the more it gets shared, the more it gets liked, uh, the bigger the channel gets. It gets in front of more people, which uh, makes it a lot more accessible. It starts to appear in trends and charts, and it'll help with advertisers as well. It's just sort of get on the map. So, yeah, thank you very much for that. And I'll leave it there. I'll see everybody next Monday. And thank you very much. I've been Aaron Barton, and this has been the Portuguese Football Show. Mm-hmm.